Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair, and we have with us a very special guest today, Sam Charrington. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hi, Cindy. I am wonderful and great to be speaking with you. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I can't wait to jump into this conversation and let uh, the students and the rest of our audience get to know you a bit. You have had a very interesting career path so far. You've gone from being an engineer, starting at AT AT&T. You've worked at like other, you know, smaller companies, Plumtree Software, Tsunami Research, <laughs> Apistry, and then you found your way into being a, an entrepreneur and a founder and a, a, a host, actually, of your own This Weekend Machine Learning AI podcast series, which we'll talk about in a minute because it's extensive. But <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you go from being a software engineer to entrepreneur and where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I've always been excited about technology. uh, And as I started my career, I was particularly interested in emerging and like transformational technologies. And my career has really given me the opportunity to span a bunch of those. At AT AT&T, I was part of the wave of folks that were helping businesses get online with the internet. Uh, we're talking wow. about pipes, you know, just getting them fundamentally connected. Right. Uh, and then I went to a startup that was helping folks uh, really leverage the web, uh, particularly for finding information within their organizations. Uh, and then the next company I joined was all about uh, making cloud computing real for organizations. And so I rode that wave. Um, and at uh, my current company, Twimmel, uh, we're focused on AI and helping inform and educate and create community around uh, making AI real for folks and making the community of AI practitioners more uh, diverse and accessible. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the education focus because it's like, there's a lot of hype. People talk about AI and machine learning <laughs> and the metaverse and, you know, artificial re- uh, intelligence and, and, and uh, augmented reality and, and VR. And, you know, it all just kind of, if you can throw the terms around, then, you know, you sound like you're in the know, but fact of the matter is a lot of people really don't understand it. And then it kind of makes it kind of hard to trust the technology if you don't have a good basis of understanding even what it is and you can get all tied up in ethical issues around it. And that's what I really wanna spend some time talking with you about today. And you can help educate the audience a little bit from what you've seen. But when you think, step back and think about just responsible artificial intelligence or machine Mm -hmm. learning, what does that even mean to you? What are some of the dangers of AI from a ethical perspective, if you will. Yeah, I think uh, your point about buzzwords uh, really resonates strongly with me. And it's a big focus of my work is helping kind of 
folks get through the the buzzwords and yeah. create understanding. And when we talk about AI, we're already battling a history of use of the the term in popular culture and movies, like you know, the Terminator and, and, and things like that. And I think um, you know, oftentimes when we talk about the dangers of AI, we kind of fall back to those those tropes as well. And I think it's important to maybe ground out on why we even care about AI in the first place and what the promise of it is. Yeah, let's start there. I I think of it as fundamentally AI is an opportunity to to free humans from monotonous intellectual tasks, right? There are all these things that we do as quote-unquote knowledge workers in our day that wouldn't it be great if the computer just knew uh, what I was trying to do and can do it? Um, uh-huh. and beyond that, uh, AI offers the opportunity to help us deal with this, you know, deluge of information that we're all presented with, uh, every day. Uh, it offers the opportunity to help our organizations run more efficiently and more, uh, in a more optimum way. And, uh, it is really showing promise at pushing the frontiers of our understanding of the world and, allowing us to um, advance science and medicine. And uh, so there are a ton of, uh, there's a ton of promise in artificial intelligence. And I think that's why people are so excited about it. Yeah. Uh, But the kind of the one too, is that uh, there's also a lot of potential risk and danger uh, with AI as a technology. Mm -hmm. And I tend to think of them as really springing up from, kind of the inherent uh, aspects of AI, meaning based on how AI works and the contextual aspects of AI, meaning uh, how it's used and the environment in which it's created. Ah, so let's peel back the onion on that a little bit. So um, the contextualized was the second point, but the first point was, how it is actually, what was that again? How it's created, how we make AI. Right. So what are some of the dangers and inherent and just how it's created? And and have you seen companies make advancements given that it's all the hype and everybody's using it in terms of getting better at creating it to avoid some of the risks? Uh, so there's there's been a ton of advancements in the way that we create AI. And it may be worth spending a couple of minutes just talking about, you know, how we create AI. What does that really mean? Um, and as technical as it can be when you're trying to do it, it's you know fairly simple to explain, I think. Uh, the most promising form of AI today is this thing we call machine learning. And machine learning is an algorithmic approach to building predictive software using data. And the, a simple example of this is, hey, let's say we've got a bunch of labeled pictures of dogs and cats and then we run them through this algorithm. And ultimately that helps us create a piece of software that when given a picture that we don't yeah. know what's in it can tell us if it has a dog or a cat in it. And uh-huh. we call that process training a machine learning model or training a model. Got it. And it's a, you know, this is a, a silly example, but it's a powerful idea, right? Because the same concept applies to creating a fraud prediction model. We take a bunch of legitimate and fraudulent credit card tra- transactions 
we train a model and now we can predict fraud and we can do it in a way that is more reflective of the world that we live in today. And, you know, and the kind of fraud that's happening in any given moment yeah. relative to some rules that maybe some fraud analysts created, right. you know, six months ago. Right. Uh, another example might be if we've got sensor readings from a, a machine in a plant, uh, when that machine is working well versus when it's about to break, uh, we can use that to create or train a predictive maintenance model. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can allow us to ensure that our plants are always operating by fixing problems before they happen. Yep. Uh, yep. Or to give a third example uh, and pay attention with this one, you know, what if we have a set of resumes from all of our past job applicants that we uh, hired versus resumes of those that we rejected? And so maybe we train a model and that model is uh, now a candidate success predictor and we use it to automate our recruiting. Yeah. Uh, and that would be great, right? We'd save all of our recruiters a bunch of time. We'd save money flying folks around interviews. Uh, heck, we'd even be like saving the planet because we'd be reducing the CO2 emissions from all these flights that folks were taking. Uh, what's not to love there? And yeah, let's talk about what's not to love there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I, you know, if you're, if you're listening, you probably picked up on that. That last one is a trick example. Uh, and in practice, it's very problematic because of these inherent and contextual risks that uh, we've been talking about uh, or that I mentioned earlier. Um, and so when we, you know, when I think about these inherent risks, like there's a bunch of things that we talk about uh, in the context of AI. There's this idea of transparency, and that is that the most powerful models, what we call deep learning models, uh, they're very complex and we don't really understand how they work or why they work and why they make the kinds of, why they make the decisions that they make. Yeah. Um, and in a business setting, you know, at the very least, if a candidate is rejected or accepted, you'd like to know why. Why? And exactly. the models can't really tell us that inherently. It's not an inherent property of the models to do that. Uh, although it is an active area of research, transparency and AI, and right. we're building these capabilities for different types of models all the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe even more illustrative of the danger is uh, the idea that these complex models, they, they are very susceptible to picking up what we call spurious correlations. The, the idea there is mm -hmm. simple. Going back to our dogs and cats model, um, your pictures of dogs are all taken outside on the grass and your pictures of cats, cats don't want to go outside. They're in their corner, you know, on their carpety, climby things. And you think that your model, Hey, it's learned what a dog is and what a cat is. Uh -huh. Um, but you give it a picture of a cat outside on the grass and all of a sudden it thinks it's a dog. Why is that? Well, it didn't really learn anything about cats or dogs. It learned that, Hey, this kind of green grassy thing is associated with what you said was a dog. And so it's it's kind of an inherent aspect of the way these models work is that they pick up patterns and they kind of amplify these patterns and use them as part of their predictions. Right. And that amplification of patterns can get really difficult. So when you're talking about dogs and cats, the other area that I'm thinking about where it, it's obviously going to be much higher risk is you know, the, the self-driving cars, when you think about safety and whether or not the model is trained to recognize the human form when, for example, it's not in a crosswalk, right? And if it isn't, right. then, you know, I mean, that's all kinds of 
issues with the car, like not recognizing, oh, that's a human form and the car could hit the person if they're not in a crosswalk. Just like the, the model isn't gonna pick up a cat if you've never taken pictures of cats outside. And so some of these are gonna be high risk issues and others are gonna be a little bit lower risk. Issues. But the point is still, it gets back to what data are you feeding into the model, right? That's right. That that data is key to the way that these models are created. And we talk a lot about uh, bias in AI and models. And bias is a little bit of an overloaded term in the sense that, uh, as I explained around these spurious correlations, machine learning models are inherently working by picking up these biases in the data and using them to make predictions. So we can never really eliminate bias. That's not the goal. Uh, The problem is when there's biases that we don't understand or aren't thinking about or aren't looking for and they influence the prediction. So going back to the resume example, um, we may not have thought of this or recognized it, but you know, what if all of our historical data shows that traditional male names make it through the screening and get into the interview process while female or ethnic names are just rejected. Right. You know, that's, that is a bias that's going to be picked up by the model and encoded and propagated into the way it makes decisions. Yeah. So HR data is a, is a high risk, probably back right up there with safety, you know, different than understanding is it a dog or a a cat or, or, you know, a good use, which is, you know, reducing fraud. So it's all over the the spectrum in terms of um, how machine learning can actually be used. But when you're focusing back on the data at the, at the beginning, uh, and obviously trying to think about different situations up front, are there some patterns around or or processes around governance for, um, you know, groups that are working on that, that can, that can shield it a bit or make it better. I mean, maybe another way to ask this is, do you view, and you're an engineer, so maybe you have a different opinion than me, (laughs) but do you view the creation of uh, artificial intelligence algorithms, machine learning? Do you view all of that as a, just an engineering project or is it broader? Well, I think there are, there are several dimensions to that question. I think one of the things that we've seen independent of the questions about responsible AI is that uh, the teams working on machine learning most effectively are you know, increasingly diverse in terms of their role or, or um, oh, to not overload diverse, um, increasingly interdisciplinary. So exactly. whereas historically or, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, someone working on uh, machine learning, you know, would be a data scientist. Mm -hmm. And that data scientist was a kind of a unicorn person that was expected to have, you know, all of the knowledge of (laughs) machine learning and data analytics, as well as all of the knowledge of the business problems that they're trying to solve. Now, what's much more common is to see, again, these interdisciplinary teams that consist of data scientists that know how to manipulate the, or how to create the models, data engineers that know how to pull the data from corporate systems and make it available to the data scientists, Uh, machine learning engineers that know how to take these statistical models and get them into real applications, 
product people that know how to map the requirements of the users and the, the actual applications into uh, a problem that's well formulated for uh, an algorithmic solution, user experience people that yeah. uh, put the human at the center of the problem as opposed to, um, you know, kind of the classic uh, technology hammer looking for nails. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So increasingly, the, the cast of characters involved in successful machine learning efforts in the real world is, is very interdisciplinary. Now, I think with regards and, and, to- and I think legal governance is usually at that table too these days, particularly if absolutely. it's a high risk one. You know, and, and for the audience to understand, I think product owners, user experience people, any of your governance or kind of risk management personnel, they're, they're gonna be outside of the engineering discipline, right? So working in an interdisciplinary team, you also have the issue of sort of Mars talking to Venus because, you know, the, 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 they may be all talking English or, or whatever language they may be using, but still talking past each other. So I, I, right. I don't want to go past that point too far before we, before we stop and recognize that sometimes that can be as difficult as trying to have a conversation with somebody who's speaking a foreign language and you have to have an interpreter in the room, right? So that interdisciplinary model can be a, it's super important, but not as easy as you just made it sound, I think, right? Sometimes That's it's really right. hard. That's right. Um, the kind of developing shared language across different teams is is a key challenge and a, a challenge, a difficult one to overcome, and one that uh, presents itself at all different areas of the of these kinds of problems or these kinds of systems, even from you know, does a you know, customer and your system mean the same thing as a customer in my system? And are the fields the same? There's that kind of language and taxonomy issue. Um, but then when we're talking about at a, at a governance level, you know, what does it mean for a system to be fair in the yeah. context of my organization and the, 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 the work that we're doing and our users? Yeah. Um, the, the first thing an organization needs to do when it is embarking on a responsible AI effort is really define what that means in the context of that organization. What are the principles uh, that are going to govern uh, the way an organization pursues artificial intelligence in light of issues like fairness, bias, transparency, uh, equity, et cetera? You know, I love that point. Um, in fact, I was just talking with a, a company recently about this. Like, how do we get started, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, you're deep into it, but there are a whole host of companies out there that are soldiers trying to figure out how do we get started? They may have some algorithms working within their organization, but they don't really have a very mature model. And I love what you just said. It's so important. It starts, I think, with really setting down and deciding kind of strategically what is going to be our framework, what are going to be our values, uh, what is our, you know, touchstone when we're thinking about uh, how we want to be perceived with our development and use of AI. So, and how does that marry up with our company's values and make sure that they're aligned so that these interdisciplinary teams have at least something that can bring them back to talking the same language and communicating well, right? That's right. That's right. All of those things are important. I think the, the one thing that is also key that I didn't hear you mention is really having that strong executive support and buy-in. And that from uh, the top. Because <laughs> without that, without it coming from the top, 
um, you know, these, these, these teams don't have teeth, right? right. They don't have exactly. the ability to really impact what's happening in the business. Yep. Some great examples I've seen are, um, you know, Microsoft has a committee called the Aether Committee. Uh, I forget the specific acronym, but uh, it is a committee consisting of uh, both researchers uh, working kind of in the trenches of, you know, their responsible AI efforts, but also some of the company's senior leadership. And when issues come up like, okay, we've developed a technology that uh, allows you to take text and create kind of spoken voice in anyone's, you know, using anyone's voice that you train it on, you know, how should we make that available? Yeah. Or should we make that available? It goes to that committee and that committee explores the issues uh, surrounding the use of a technology like that. And then, uh, and because that committee is, you uh, you know, that committee ha has teeth. It's sanctioned by the, the company CEO. Uh, right. They can say, yeah, we're not going to make this available generally. It's, it may be available to specific sets of customers for specific, very specific use cases. Um, but we've seen other examples where the, that kind of support from the top wasn't there. And um those ethics teams didn't have didn't have teeth and they pushed back against the the machine and the machine chewed them up unfortunately yeah. yeah yeah so it really is about getting that support from the top working in an inter interdisciplinary manner really against kind of values and principles that are established um, supported by the top and tie back into the you know kind of the company's mission and values and then making sure you're looking out, you know, then you get into all the other issues that we've been talking about more deeply about, you know, should we not, can we, and, you know, how does the algorithm actually going to work and what's the data and there's so much going on um, with it that, you know, I've also heard, um, I'd love your opinion on this companies. Um, some will say, you know, we just need to start small. Let's do a little project here, a little use case here and build on that. And others I think are like, no, you know, speed, we've got to go fast. It's all about disruption. And, and we got to, you know, get that product out there as fast yeah. as we can, which does cause some missteps. What do you think about, you know, get, given how quickly the world is changing, do companies need to go big, bigger, faster, better, or is it wiser to start smaller and go incrementally? It, it's funny that you asked this question. Uh, when I talk to AI leaders within organizations, this is their fundamental challenge. And I think of it as AI portfolio management. Uh, in order for them to um, recruit, uh, justify their, you know, big budgets, right? AI people are expensive. Yeah. Uh, they have to pursue these moonshots uh, to some degree or another. Some companies, you know, they're gigantic moonshots, others, they're just, um, they're, you know, projects that inspire the organization because of the possibilities that they would unlock if they realized. Right. Um, right. At the same time, those types of efforts take, you know, many, many years, and uh, the organizations need to continue to justify their existence. And there's you know, more than more so than just that, 
there's a clamoring within the typical enterprise to put AI to use, to really go after this low-hanging fruit use cases like predictive maintenance, which I mentioned earlier. Um, If you're, uh, you know, if you've got a significant physical plant and you've got downtime with machines or you're sending parts in advance that sit on shelves because they don't get used because or you're taking good parts out of machines, all of that is a tremendous source of expense. And it's been demonstrated that predictive maintenance can address that and reduce costs dramatically. So mm-hmm. if you're an organization that has a physical plant and you're responsible for AI, you bet your, you know, your bottom dollar that people are knocking on your door saying, hey, I need this. And right. so this idea of portfolio management and um, managing the, the, um, these kind of low-hanging fruit use cases while still keeping a kind of a big picture is a key responsibility, I think, for senior AI leadership. Uh, That said, when taking on any project, even a low-hanging fruit project, uh, the, the best advice is always to start small. Start the small thing small and try to simplify it as much as possible uh, and build from there. And when you identi- when you reach goals that you set up front before you even started, you know that you can stop as opposed to throwing technology at these problems because the technology is exciting. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things we haven't even sort of the elephant in the room, I think with this conversation here, and it's a conversation for another day, but it's worth mentioning at least here, is that another responsibility of leadership when um, they are thinking about how to make their companies more efficient and more effective in the use of technology is um, what are you going to do with the manual uh, work work that now is being done by a machine and the humans who are doing that manual work? So there's a whole nother, you know, side of this equation, which will have to be in a podcast episode for another day about retraining and retooling and reskilling and, um, you know, recredentialing and, and having yeah. that vision about, yeah, I'm an AI leader and I'm going to help my company, you know, advance in terms of efficiency and effectiveness. But I also have a responsibility to figure out what are we going to do with this, the groups of workers that were doing the work that now can be done more efficiently by a, by yeah. a machine. I agree. That's a, it's a key and and important question. My hope is that over the long term, AI is is a spark that allows us to really, in a fundamental way, reevaluate the relationship between labor and livelihood and really creates an opportunity for us as humans to spend our time and energy, you know, contributing in our kind of best and highest way. Um, But that's not at all to say that along the way, uh, that that's not going to be a rocky road. And there's going to certainly have to be a lot of retraining and upskilling and things like that. Yeah, I think that's part of, you know, we talked about hype at the beginning of, of the episode with the terminology, I think a, a, a hype fear that's out there is, 
you know, machines are just going to put us all out of, out of jobs. And I think that issue needs to be addressed um, probably more head on for those who may feel a bit fearful and understand that, no, it's more about retooling and, you know, helping you live your, your life out in a way that's going to be your best and highest use and purpose. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. A couple more questions before we go. Um, You have this incredible this week in machine learning, um, podcast, which has, gosh, I don't know at this point, probably over 600 episodes. Cause I know it was up at 594 a little while ago as I was listening. I've not listened to all of them, but I've listened to many. Are there, have you discovered any, let's say um, startups along the way in your journey of um, educating the field more that you want to call out that you think people should maybe kind of keep their eye on for responsible and ethical use of AI and, um, you know, kind of using it in the right way. Sure thing. So uh, uh, a couple of things on the podcast, the, the podcast started out as this week in machine learning and AI. And actually, we, I started as kind of this news roundup. Like I was, you know, I'd end the week with 100 tabs of all these cool articles about AI wow. that I wanted to learn about and share. And uh, this week in machine learning and AI was like, you know, my roundup of the most interesting five, seven stories of, of that week. Uh-huh. Um, about three years ago, um, it was long past the time that I was doing new stuff. It, you know, I switched to interviews shortly after that. Uh, but we also started doing conferences and publishing ebooks and stuff like that. So uh, Twimmel became kind of the umbrella brand for our efforts to inform and educate and create community. And the podcast is called the Twimmel AI podcast. So if you Got it. want to look for it on any of your podcast readers or catchers, uh, that's how to find it. Um, and yeah, we're, we should be around 600 episodes now, over 10 million downloads. Um, and we do every year a roundup of, um, of we do podcasts uh, with kind of friends of the show where we talk about, you know, what are the trends over the past year and in, in different fields. And this year we've yeah. done them on uh, topics like computer vision and natural language processing and um, uh, reinforcement learning, which is an exciting technology in AI. And so if someone wants to catch an episode, those are, uh, interesting ones to look for, as well as we've got uh, a responsible AI or bias fairness and ethics in AI, I think it's called playlist, which oh, awesome. is a dozen or so interviews that I've done with leaders uh, in the field. Um, so that's where I would point folks. And uh, with regard to uh, startups, I think the my first thought echoes a conversation I had in an interview with a woman named Beba Barhana, where we spent a lot of that time, that conversation, uh, talking about this concept of tech solutionism and, and, and cautioning against it, that you know, tech isn't necessarily the solution to uh, responsible AI. It's you know, a human-centric approach. Um, that said, I think there are some interesting, there's some interesting activity happening in a, a, a field called uh, model observability. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
the key idea there is that you know, there, there's in the early days of AI, all the energy was focused on, let's create this model. Can we create this model? We've got some data. If we put it through this model training pipeline, can we produce a model that uh, can predict accurately? Mm-hmm. The, the key metric was accuracy. Right. Um, and as our use of these models has matured, we realized that, well, that's one part of this much bigger workflow yeah. uh, if you're going to actually use that model productively. And one right. of the things that um, that organizations that are kind of mature in their use of these models have realized is that, yeah, you can't just throw the model over the wall to developer, you know, to development or to IT or whatever and say, okay, you know, go do this. It's in our system, right. It's that model, you know, needs constant care and feeding. And, you know, that's called monitoring the model or uh, model observability. And there are some interesting companies, startups that are uh, in that space, uh, trying to make it easier for organizations to understand these models and how they work. I did a roundup post on my blog about them, but it's companies like Arthur AI and Fiddler Labs and Parity and True Era and Y Labs. Um, but I think that to me, it's the you know the 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 concept and the space that's most exciting, as opposed to any of the individual companies. Is this idea that um, putting a machine learning model into production is uh, an ongoing investment, not a kind of one and done thing Love that we're going to do. Love it. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it truly is a life cycle. And I think that's a great place to end the conversation is it's not just creating it and it's not just right. using it. You actually do need to then monitor it and tune it appropriately or even have a kill switch if it gets out of control, right? And being right. able to pull it out of production if you need to. That's right. So um, that's great. Well, I love Twimmel. Uh, highlighted it in my newsletter last month as an additional great resource for places to go. And, you know, with, with I do think, over 600 episodes now, there is something there for everyone. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and your ebooks and the playlist in particular to go deeper on this particular topic about responsible and ethical AI is, is fabulous. So I love what you're doing, Sam. Thank you so much for taking time to educate us a little bit more and, and share with us about what you're doing. I appreciate it very much. Thanks so much, Cindy. It was a ton of fun. Great. All right. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E, B-I-S, which stands for the Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.